Welcome back to the Just One Africa podcast. Just One Africa is a nonprofit organization that cares for orphans and vulnerable children in Kenya by providing access to clean water and by partnering with local leaders to provide sustainable solutions, which create hope through care, education, and community development. I'm your host, Kishmira Pandit, and I'm currently a stateside headquarters intern at the Just One Africa organization. On my time here so far, I have found a deep passion for helping others around the world change their lives through access to clean water and education. So, each week, I'll be sharing with you the newest information regarding Just One Africa and inspiring interviews with the amazing people who make it possible. We can all be one for someone. Changing the world starts with just one. It starts with you. This is the Just One Podcast. So, without further ado, let's get on to today's interview. Welcome back to the Just One Podcast. Today we are joined with the amazing Mrs. Amy. Mrs. Amy is the founder of Just One Africa, creating an organization which continues to create sustainable lives for thousands of children in Kenya. Through providing access to clean water, education, and community empowerment. She's also a mom to her wonderful children, is determined and dedicated, and always on the go. So, without further ado, I'm so glad to introduce to you, Mrs. Amy. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be able to talk with you and to share more of our story today. Of course. I'm so excited to speak with you and to hear your story and for everyone listening to be able to hear your story as well. So tell us, is what it, what were you like as a child? Um, were you formally involved in nonprofits? What were you like in high school? Were you like interested in entrepreneurship as a child? What was it like? Mm, such a good question. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it feels like it's I just okay. had a birthday. So every year it's a good opportunity to reflect back. On, yeah. Where you've come from and yeah. where you're going. Yeah. I'm the oldest of three girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of what I learned, I learned from my parents, obviously, as so much of us do or who's ever, you know, in our home raising you. And so I'm really thankful for the example my parents set. Both of them worked full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. Although my mom, as a teacher, she didn't start working until my youngest sister was in school. So Mm -hmm. she was able to stay home. I know it was a real struggle for my family to be able to do that, but my mom was able to stay home with us for a couple years while my dad had a medical practice um, job that he worked for people, physical therapy. So a lot of what I saw of them growing up was serving and helping others. My dad in the medical field and my mom in education. And as you know, teachers are the most incredible people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do so much more than just educating like math, reading, you know, science and all of that. What they do is uh, far beyond that. And especially if you were born like with the heart of a teacher, just really caring Mm -hmm. about people. I saw my mom do all kinds of things after hours. She spoke fluent Spanish, so she went to people's homes where maybe the parents weren't as fluent and and did, you know, one-on-one conferences and translated things and just really provided the kind of service and care for the people that were in front of her, no matter how maybe uncomfortable or creative she had to be or... Mm -hmm. 
So I just always saw that kind of a reach for others. Really active in our church and volunteering and serving was always the first to get there and help and always the last to leave after cleanup. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just always finding ways to be involved. Did a lot of stuff with children and babysat and cared for lots of families, kids in our church from a really young age. So it was just really involved with people. I guess from a young age, I saw my parents have like an open door policy at home. Just we had lots of people live with us over the years, different Bible college students or exchange students from other countries that we got to learn about other places around the world from a very young age. Mm. Students who like were your age and got that high school came and lived with us for the summer. A lot of Japanese um, students. And so it just really opened up my eyes to places I never traveled Mm -hmm. or places that I had never maybe even studied so much to learn about how others live, which really, I think, shapes your perspective as a young person, Um, especially if what you live around is, you know, not maybe the norm of a lot of people around the world. So Mm -hmm. I think that was super, super helpful. Our church was really involved in missions. And so I really thought the world in my heart really was born out of our missions department at church, learning about lots of places around the world and lots of different people, praying for them. And so I always thought that my life would have something to do with people from other countries. I just (laughs) didn't know what it would look like, but I definitely had a world in my heart from a really young age. Wow, that's amazing. What's one of your favorite experiences from that, like with other people from other cultures and from other backgrounds and helping children? What's been a memory that's stuck with for years? I think one of the ones that probably was pretty significant as you're maybe starting to get a little bit older was in ninth grade. Our um, principal, Mr. Mervich, took us as a class. We only had one ninth grade. It was a small school. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like now where you have 10 ninth grades or but it was just a really small class. And we lived in California and we drove down to Mexico and we had a relationship with an orphanage that was in community there. And he had worked with them for years and years and years. And we got the opportunity to go and to learn about a place that was different from where we lived and about leaders that were working and serving their community and meeting the needs of um, children and of families in different ways. That experience, while you know, very uh, much hands-on in some of the projects we were doing, also really gave me an understanding in a small way, beginning way, about what leaders have to go through to meet you know, just different challenges that they face and the struggles that they go through depending upon the resources that are around mm-hmm. and how maybe helpful partnership can be And then maybe how not so helpful partnership, depending upon how that help or that support of that partnership looks. I mean, so very small beginning understandings, but I would say that that trip was very monumental because I had never, I don't think to that point, really left the United States. So as a ninth grader, having the opportunity to leave, to travel and to do a little bit of learning in a different context, I think really was formative and just learning about others and getting my hands (laughs) dirty in a way that I think is really important because not everybody lives the same way that we do or you do or I mean even you and I probably True. live super different our, our communities and our family setups and, and our upbringing is really different so just being able to mm-hmm. learn from others is is really important but I think one of the ways that that learning best happens is when you're in close proximity to others so I can read books all day long yeah. about a certain topic or a certain people group or a certain country but until you travel there and you learn from the people themselves and you see and you experience it's just a different way that that you know implants into your heart and into your mind kind of rolls around that you about so I'm really grateful for that opportunity and all the different lessons I've learned from it since. Wow that's wonderful that's really really amazing. So you were a high school student having these experiences with people of different cultures and helping others learning about leadership who were some of the people you looked up to as a leader or inspired you? I 
would definitely say my parents, just because of the ways that they always were leading and caring for others. I saw a lot of the way that they practically loved and invited people into their space. They didn't just, you know, go to places and then come home and then go on as life as usual. They invited people in as much as they went to other places. And so they let their normal, so to speak, be disturbed, be challenged, or be interrupted uh, and let it be. And in that, learned the beauty that happens when other people are able to come together and your lives intersect with others. So definitely my parents had a lot of my process of reflecting and thinking about leadership and looks like to serve. I mean, my parents were never in charge of organizations or committees or, I mean, maybe maybe they were but I mean it was never about a title it was never about a position it was Mm -hmm. just who they were and so I learned that it really didn't matter what letters were after your name or how you know big of a following so to speak nowadays you say you have like you can serve and love others regardless of where you live and what you have um, because it's about who you are and I would say maybe one of the other important people in my life growing up that I looked to her name was Dina Reyes she's still a really great friend Uh, she was my one of my teachers I think maybe we all have a teacher story that one teacher um, or two teachers that really impacted us. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I was her teaching assistant. I was her TA. That was like one of my classes mm-hmm. <laughs> in middle school. And she was also by the youth pastor's wife. So I got to hang out with her in the classroom and at church and babysat kids and yeah. um, just really became a part of her family. And so I learned a lot just by being in proximity to her and seeing how she led in all these different ways as a wife and as a mom, as a pastor's wife and as a friend and as a daughter and, yeah. and as a woman. And so the roles that she played in my life as, as much as my parents and seeing that there's lots of different ways as a, as a mom and as a woman you can engage in your community and in your home and that it really matters what we do and how we treat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really thankful for their examples. Uh, I've had so many different people that I've been able to learn from, mm-hmm. but I would say those people probably were really important in my growing up years that were very consistent in my life. I still have a great relationship with my parents and mm-hmm. then um, also get to see Dean and from time to time. We live on opposite sides of the country now. But, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, super, super thankful for both of them. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a teacher that I think we can all relate to. Um, for me, that would be my world history teacher because he always taught us and continues to teach us about current issues in the world, um, as- along with all the ancient history that he has to teach. And he really like shows us the way to create change and he inspires us each day to use what we know to create something that we wish to create. We all have a teacher that's really, really incredible and inspires us. He sounds, yeah, he sounds very inspiring. And I'm glad that he's in your life. Yeah. That's awesome. He's really, really amazing. <laughs> um, so as you were growing up, how did the idea for Just One Africa originate? <laughs> That's a great question because it was never something I like had a plan for. Like when mm-hmm. I grow up, I want to do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We very much were, husband and I, very busy with raising three teenagers and or tweens. At the yeah. Time. Our kids, our kids were 10, uh, 13, and 14 at the oh. time that we went to Kenya on our very first trip back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And both had full-time jobs. I w- I'm a personal chef. You know, he wow. works in the computer data world. We volunteer and serve at our church and our community and our kids' schools. So, like, life was extra full mm-hmm. in managing all of that. So, starting Just One Africa was not... Like we had extra, you know, we just had extra time and needed something else, a pet project or, you know, a side (laughs) thing. It really was born out of a trip that we took to Kenya with our kids' youth group. We were the chaperones. 
and they were too young to go by themselves, but we had always wanted, it was a huge goal as a family to go and to serve Mm -hmm. and to learn together and to be able to process together and just reflect because a lot of what we have always done with our kids from the time they were super little was to get involved in the lives of others and to serve and to love just out of a response of who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not because we had hours to fill on a sheet because of a school project or because we felt obligated, but really just an effort to love our community well. And so this was just something that we had a goal of us doing together in another place that was very different than our current context. And Clay and I, my husband and I both grew up, like I had previously, with a a world in our heart. Mm. And we wanted our kids to have the same kind of opportunity to learn about the world they live in. Because we are very aware that the world does not live like our community all over. And so we didn't want them growing up with just the ignorance of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, As much as we talk to them and watch news, it's just nothing like going. And so outside of that trip to Mexico, I mean, I had never left really the country. And so I was also really excited to be able to go Mm -hmm. to Africa. My husband had been years before where we were married, but he hadn't been back in a long time. So just one was really born out of that trip. As we went to Kenya in 2012, we went over spring break. We didn't mm-hmm. go to Disney World or Florida for the beach, you know, yeah, or, that's fun. or we didn't go you ski. I guess you can ski over spring break in some places. Yeah. <laughs> There's still snow. Yeah. We really buckled down, saved. We did yard sales. I mean, we did the whole thing to yeah. like raise the funds to be able to get us there. What was that like? Five people to Kenya is no joke, but we knew that it would happen if that's what we were supposed to do. We were able to raise the went and just had a lot of expectation as to what we wanted this trip to be for our family and for our kids. So it was really incredible to see how it unfolded. Our main relationship that we were going to partner with Kenya was a woman that we had known about, Clay and I had known about for 10 plus years previous to that time and had known about the work that she was doing and how she was caring for children who have been orphaned due to HIV and just multiple other diseases as that is a real challenge in the community that she serves in, in Western Kenya. Mm-hmm. So in our, in our effort to go and learn and not just do, We got up close to a lot of the people in our community and the women in her community that were widowed to learn about their lives and about the challenges that they face and how they were working together to overcome them. Through that, we were building a project with the local community that they had asked us to help with, and that was to help rebuild this home for a widow. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her mud hut was really falling over, had fallen into poor disrepair. And when we stepped into the hut, I noticed that there was this little bundle on the ground, and it looked like there was a child on the ground, but it seemed kind of interesting as to why a baby would be on the ground in the way Mm -hmm. that they were and they pulled back the sheet and there was this child laying under the sheet and uh, I asked what was wrong maybe about nine months old I thought the baby was dead I didn't see any breathing he looked big big belly just really sick so I asked and I learned that the mom couldn't nurse she had a severe infection she was HIV positive and she was giving the baby water straight from Lake Victoria which is the shores of that they lived on and the the baby had typhoid and was dying and they didn't have the money to help him and the mom was still obviously super sick and it just really like hit me like a ton of bricks as I stood Mm -hmm. there with my backpack on and my granola bars and my water bottles and my kids you know like how is this happening like how is this not my story how was I born on the other side of the world and this isn't my child dying underneath this blanket why am I not sick um, in this way and it just really became apparent in that moment that um, I needed to see this with my eyes I needed to see this with my heart and understand the suffering and challenges that weren't just the story of this one mom but if you looked up and down the shores of Lake Victoria there are tens of thousands of women that this is the same story 
And so as I stood outside and I stepped out, just really, really licked it as to what do I do? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not a doctor. Like, I'm only here for a few days and then I'm leaving. But like, I I can't walk away from making a difference in some way. But Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And so I talked to the woman that we had come to serve with and help in some different projects. And we started then talking about this water issue and how she also suffered from that, how the kids that she cared for also suffered because they also lived on the shores of Lake Victoria. And that was their only water source. So access to water wasn't a problem. It was just the water they had access to was highly contaminated. It was causing people to die. So conversation around water filters started because we have water filters here when our family Mm -hmm. goes camping and we use them as you know, what we use to clean the river water, the creek water. Yeah. So we have water. We wondered, I wonder if this would work in the places that we're visiting right now. And if this would be a solution that this community would embrace. Are there any other people doing this where we are today? Yeah. Uh, are there any other water filters people are using or selling or, you know, how is that going? And so yeah. really the water conversation started from there. And so as I began to look up and down the shores of Lake Victoria, I also got highly highly worried because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how do I how do we solve this for all these women how do we yeah. solve this for these challenge for these families and the challenges they face and then kind of feeling like throwing your hands up in the air and like what's yeah. the point yeah. if you can't help like literally everyone from stopping these deadly waterborne diseases like what is the point yeah. um, it felt very hopeless in that moment but I was reminded of a story in the Bible where there's a story about a shepherd and sheep. And oh. it talks about how the shepherd left 91, 99 sheep to go after the one that had gotten lost. And so that story came to my mind. And I thought, well, if God thinks that one person is worth going after and he left everybody else to go after the one, then who am I to say that one person's not important enough wow. to do what I can, even if that means maybe that I can't help the other 99 so yeah. and how much you know God's love is for each of us and so that's mm-hmm. not insignificant and so the person in front of me is what matters and who counts and their life is precious just like yeah. my children's lives are precious this woman's life and her children were precious and so from that I made a commitment that no matter who was in front of me whether it was one person or five people or 99 so to speak mm-hmm. that I would do what I could for the one in front of me and then our heart is that in doing so, their life would be so touched and empowered that then they also can touch the lives around them. Yes. And so it becomes not so much addition, but really multiplication. Yes. <laughs> but it starts with one person. And mm-hmm. so really one person isn't an insignificant. If you look at the math, you know, that compounds, compounding interest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's really powerful. So if all of a sudden you're reaching all these ones in front of you, mm-hmm. then the multiplication and the compounded interest, so to speak, the impact of what they're able to create mm-hmm. far exceeds your ability in that one life but you'll have to start somewhere so we decided that we would move forward in our talks with this woman and that we would do what we could for the one in front of us and that's really where uh, just when Africa was born out of that experience specifically around the water issue and then learning about the needs that this woman had around sustaining the work that she was doing in light of helping the children who were orphaned and or abandoned due to the post-election violence that happened in the late mm-hmm. 90s and so as we begin to hear more stories about the challenges she was facing and what vision she had for her and the solutions that the women in her community she was empowering and rallying 
and educating um, mm-hmm. with different topics, um, we thought, wow, if we could pour into this woman, if we could help resource her, the impact she has is on literally thousands and yeah. thousands of moms that inc- impact then tens of thousands of children. Mm-hmm. So our heart for leaders that were on the ground doing really important work grew as we understood it wasn't about us having to make maybe all those decisions and learning all the things that we needed to know. We just needed to find the right people on the ground that knew and then resource them to do what they felt passionate about and called to do in their and that's how change and impact and so the name of our organization is very um, intentional and was born out of really what we truly believe and that has never changed even to this day eight years later we believe that just one person is worth making a difference for as much as we believe just one person can also make a difference it goes both ways and so we hope that the people that we have contact with in Kenya or today with Mm -hmm. our talk and all the people that will hear about the potential and the purpose of their life that as their lives are impacted and changed they also would in turn realize that they have that same purpose and potential to impact others and therefore the world does change just one person at a time wow that's really amazing wow so just out of curiosity did you go back and meet that woman after creating just one africa and hear her story mm-hmm. so yes we did um just one africa was born um as an organization officially incorporated mm-hmm. in the state of georgia in june mm-hmm. so we came back march april and then june is when we incorporated and did the paperwork and then started our 501c3 yeah that next December, Clay went back to Kenya and he distributed 60 water filters that we had raised the money for. And people came over to this area on boats from islands and other places on Lake Victoria. And Clay was able to get that family that we visited where we were rebuilding her home, a water filter. Mm-hmm. Her husband, so that the one woman who owned the home was actually her mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. The mother-in-law had several sons, all who had died due to HIV. Her husband mm-hmm. had died to HIV. So the woman, the mom of the baby, um, she was a widow as well, younger than I was, uh, had several children, but now they have a filter. We work to put rain gutters on her um, roof. We got a metal roof for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been back probably two or three times to see him. His name is James. He's alive oh. today. His mom was alive. We were able to get him medical care, the mom medical care on that very first trip through the, the partner on the ground and then access to clean water move forward. So that way that won't have to be an issue for them. We trained on hygiene and sanitation and helping to understand where disease comes from and that sort of thing, which is a part of our clean water program now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, that little boy is alive and healthy and we've got had the opportunity to have a couple pictures with him and Aww. just connect over time. But yeah. the beautiful thing is that mom is alive and healthy today mm-hmm. and she is raising her son. He's not an orphan. He, and, you know, children are best raised in families as yes. if ever possible and it's safe. And so mm-hmm. we're just really thankful that that mom gets to raise her son and now they have access to clean water for life. Yeah, that's incredible. Incredible. So you mentioned working with local leaders. So can you speak a little bit to that, um, how you met Ms. Dorcas? Mm-hmm. Working with local leaders is, I would say, why we're able to be as impactful as we are on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just One Africa would not be who we are without local leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, because really, our, our heartbeat and our vision is people. And we want to empower leaders that are on the ground, high capacity, that align and we align with their values. We're able to see good things happen. And so we were able to actually meet John and Dorcas on our very first trip because of a mutual friend that was on that very first trip. And so we briefly met them. I think they stepped 
onto our bus as we were leaving that last day and said hi we actually have a picture of that of them on the bus um we didn't know a whole lot about their family we didn't know a whole lot about what they were doing but we knew their names and we saw their faces and so we communicated after we got back us and we just started a conversation and we learned about some of the things that they were doing which was moving their family down from the city of nairobi which is the capital Mm -hmm. big city down into rural southern kenya which is where john dorcas's husband is from Mm -hmm. down um, by mount kilimanjaro the border and he's from the maasai community that's down there and they were moving their let's see i think they had three girls at the time they have five children now two boys and and three girls but they moved their family Mm -hmm. down and they had a huge heart or um, the challenges that their community in this rural area were going through. And that was very much um, targeting children and working with families that were really, really vulnerable and disadvantaged. And then cultural practices and traditions that also were being practiced and encouraged, which also happened to be illegal. And some of those things in Kenya, they're illegal. And and some of them are, you know, like um, child marriage or FGM Mm -hmm. or trafficking. And so those things sometimes go unchecked if the culture is encouraging or kind of allows them and accepts them. And so Donna Dorcas's hearts were super burdened for what was happening to children because of some of these practices that really are are not good. And they themselves as Kenyans wanted to make that difference in their community. And so as we began to talk more with them, they shared their heart for their community, the challenges they were facing and the vision that they had. And so on the next trip that we went to Kenya in 2013, we actually went to their community and we did a distribution at the brand new school, Lenkai Christian School. They had just opened up in January. That was, it was just a day trip, but that was the beginning of really kind of a a slow start to a partnership Mm -hmm. um, to kind of do a pilot project, so to speak. And to learn more about the challenges of the Maasai community and how they were directly working in their community to address those things. Water, though, was one of the issues that they also had come up against because a lot of the people in that could use the runoff from Mount Kilimanjaro, the snowmelt, and everybody had problems with typhoid and amoebas. Mm -hmm. So that conversation was at the top of their list, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Wow. So what's it like now, like working with them? And how does that feel to see it? grow yeah the uh, relationship that we have with john and dorcas has been one that we've been really intentional about Mm -hmm. and we care so much for them as individuals as leaders we really believe in who they are and the vision that they have for their community and so when we started just when africa we knew there was a lot we didn't know we knew there was a lot we didn't understand about working cross-culturally and some of that we learned through making mistakes And some of that we learned through reading books, some of that we learned through talking to other people that were in the same space doing things around the same topics. And so a lot of that informed how we went about our relationship and growing it with John and Dorcas. We know that there are mothers and fathers and husbands and and a husband and a wife outside of um, the role that they play in community. We want to see them as individuals and as people first, instead of just, so to speak, using them to accomplish what Just One Africa would want to with with a project or a program. Uh, for sure there is work to be done. And I know they Mm -hmm. take that seriously as well. And so we knew that we could partner with them as we saw what they were already doing outside of us as an organization on their own in their own. So we already knew that they had this drive and this passion and dedication to excellence in different areas that they also were trying to learn and grow in the things that were new to them and adjusting as they moved their family down. So part of that was just our relationship, learning who they are and learning what's in their heart and what's important to them. And then part of it is learning each other, maybe more so the partnership business side and how we communicate and 
how we ask questions and how we learn from each other. And the most important thing I think that has helped that is being able to go visit uh, them in Kenya um, on a regular basis. So I'm there three to four times a year mm-hmm. normally, but in a COVID world, I haven't been back since January. So definitely missing our time with them. But uh, we stay in touch via WhatsApp, phone calls, and lots of emails. But I would say that the proximity, again, is super important in learning about others. So they've taken us into their community, into all kinds of different villages and vantage points of their work. They've brought us into some really you know, hard situations and challenges that they're facing so we can know the reality of what they're dealing with. It's not all just rainbows and unicorns and great yeah. social media <laughs> posts. It's really heartbreaking, some of the yeah. things they're on the front lines of. And so in order for us to more fully understand the weight of what our projects and our funding programs that we were working with them on would make the impact, we had to know why they were needed to begin with. So I think it's important that I always keep in mind the why. And I hope that people that work with us or have given to Just One Africa, their why is why they give. It's not what we're doing. It's why we're doing it the way we're doing it. And that also is a value that they have. So our relationship with them has really grown. There's been challenges for sure, as with any because the kind of people that they are we've been able to continue to work through you know those things and overcome challenges understanding different culture yeah Um, they're gracious and hospitable and kind I think our partnership and our relationship is very open and one that is back and forth where we receive well from one another so yeah I mean I I know we have a long way to go in learning and understanding Um, and it just evolves every day but if you're super intentional about it I think it can stay and grow in a healthy way that's so amazing inspiring really So can you speak a little bit to some of the challenges that you faced and some of the mistakes that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, some of the things that we started in the beginning and learning about the needs, it's easy to see in some places because the world looks different or the needs maybe look more apparent and you have instant ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have thoughts or plans or opinion about how you think she things should be done and the order of things should be done and at the pace they should be done and and all of that but it's coming from the perspective and the viewpoint of somebody that doesn't live in that community nor is a part of that culture and so I know that there you know have been projects or maybe plans or ideas that we've expressed or thought through even maybe with our current partners and we sometimes Mm -hmm. have to pull it back and be like oh actually let me ask you that question or let me not say what I'm thinking. Let me hear from you first. Mm-hmm. And while we tried to do that in the beginning, just out of an effort to learn, mm-hmm. I know that we probably rushed sometimes to share some of our ideas too quickly. And maybe that influenced, you know, the direction that a partner wanted to go or how quickly or maybe said yes instead of adding more of what they wish they could have shared. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, they would have, maybe some of the things they wish we would have had a bigger context, or maybe we would have had more understanding before we just started. And I think that that maybe is just somewhat normal in learning others and also having the challenge of being so far away and having so many different complexities that it takes time and mistakes are made and redirection has to happen. But I think what's important is that we recognize when that happens and we course correct that we don't just keep pushing forward our thoughts our ideas and I would say that's the current it's a it's an ongoing lesson and an awareness of just in even how I communicate I've really started beginning to understand that it's even important the way that I ask or the specific words that I use because I really want to get at the heart of the person and what they're thinking and understanding I don't want to influence that and it's not that I tried to in the beginning mm-hmm. it was just oh 
yeah let's connect let's get yeah. to know each other here's my heart how was you know yeah. let me know yours like what are you thinking and yeah and as americans i think we're so fast to jump into things yeah. and to fix it and to go through what For we sure. think needs to be done go 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 and do mm-hmm. do do and check 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 you know and we don't take the time to get to know the larger picture and the people yeah kenny has really taught me that people are more important than anything and and it is reflected in everything that they do. Time is not a factor. Situational inconveniences is not a factor. It's just a part of life. And if that's the way that it needed to happen, that's the way it needed to happen. Like no one's upset. No one unfriends you because, you know, you didn't respond or you were too late or people matter. They will take time and talk. There's no rush. And so as Americans, I think it's really an affront to some yeah. of the ways that we're used to doing things. And it's not always a good thing. Yeah. Um, the way we like to do things. Well, actually, a lot of the times. True. <laughs> and so um, I've really had to reframe how I think about um, being a friend, how I think about being a leader, how I even learn. I'm so grateful for the challenges and the heartache, mm-hmm. even the heartache mm-hmm. um, that has brought me to where I am today because it really has informed how I move forward. Sometimes there are ways we have to learn things and it means we got to go through the hard. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to make sure we don't keep making those decisions where, you know, it's it's not ideal or it's not the best for the people that we're partnering with and serving. So, so many mistakes. I think what's important is we learn and we try and not make the same mistakes again. For sure. Spoke to being a leader and how your perception of that has changed. In what way specifically has that changed or how have your, what specific experience propelled that change in your thought of a leader? In leading in areas that are new or different, I think that I have found learning and being really intentional about learning and listening and understanding have grown me as a leader in the way that I approach things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just an automatic. Some people definitely have leader character traits and qualities and are just born go-getters or rally, <laughs> you know, can do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely more the, I will follow you and I will be there and I back you up and to the bitter end but to learn how to lead others and how to make decisions and how to critically think about things to be able to get to the point of making decisions in a way that moves forward a vision can be challenging if you are more the doer and you have to also now transition and becoming the thinker and the strategist if you're doing certain things where it's impacting others i mean it's it's one thing if it's like my morning routine right and it's me (laughs) it's another if i'm uh, working with a partner and we're you know, designing a program or a campaign to address one of the needs that they have at the rescue center or at the school or in a, and I may be not well read on the clean water crisis, mm-hmm. but I just have this, I, I have this thing at home that I use and I think that that's what we should do, you know, yeah. or um, I don't understand the issues that the culture also deals with around um, gender equality, right? Yeah. And so if I didn't understand how water issues and gender equality work together, then maybe my insensitivity to that topic and to how that impacts the communities we serve could really be harmful in the language that I use and my ideas that I present to our partner and how we even design the program. And because our partner you know, knows that there's a need, maybe they won't even speak up and challenge me on it because it's a good thing that's needed, but maybe they would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. So I think in an effort to become a better leader, I've really pushed myself to learn. I read a lot. I listen podcasts I watch I'm on lots of webinars Hmm. I read books I talk to other nonprofit leaders and try and be really intentional about what others are doing so I don't maybe make the same mistakes or 
Um, I learn from what they did and I pivot using that same perspective and maybe addressing, you know, the needs that I'm trying to meet in the context of our partners. So I think just continuing to be a learner um, instead of just thinking, oh, I know how to do this. In my other job as a personal chef, like I can go to the store. I know what my raw ingredients are. I know how to follow a recipe or I know how to even just come off off the bat, come up with something because I've done it for so long. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, there's a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. to be able to do something and know and be confident that it's going to work because you're very used to the ingredients and have control over all those things. When you're working with people, that's not the case. And also with topics and cultures that you don't have control over Mm -hmm. and I'm not well-versed in. And so if I want to be confident about the outcome and that's helping people, not hurting them, then I need to become more well-versed in the ingredients of of the recipe, so to speak, right? And so that takes a lot of intentionality. And sometimes that means that you have to not move at the pace you want, and that can be super frustrating. But in the end, if you recognize that your value is people, you'll be willing to do what you need to in order to arrive at that goal, even if that means you change your plan 10 times. And especially in this COVID world, we have had to do that with multiple projects. And as frustrating as it is, it's still about people. So we always have to make decisions based on that, not numbers, not data, Mm -hmm. not great posts and, Mm -hmm. you know, newsletter info as much as we want to to have good news. (laughs) And I mean, we've had some great news over this really difficult season and a lot of good work has continued to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, when you feel like you are pivoting all day long, like it can just be are we ever going to move forward? But, and I'm sure a lot of us feel like that right now. Like, are we going to ever move forward and create some momentum? And I think in different ways, if we are intentional, we will find ways to be creating momentum in our lives just in different ways. It's just going to look different Mm -hmm. and it can be really important. It can be things we've neglected maybe for a really long time that we need to pay attention to and kind of do some pending to that will help us in the larger picture, create the momentum and the forward motion we want. So as a leader, you're always reevaluating those things, but in the end you also have to make decisions that put that step you know your foot right in front of you so you yes that's so inspiring to speak to the ingredients of just in africa have there been any times when you have met with someone and the cultural difference is evident and how has that caused a redirection those are really good questions what things what i say are the ingredients um definitely people mm-hmm. um, the ingredients are also problems mm-hmm. cultural challenges and nuances that are really important to how you would go about solving those problems in the best interest in front of you mm-hmm. uh and then the solutions so those can look a lot of different ways depending upon if it's an emotional need if it's a physical need a psychological need you know there's a lot of different things that people are challenged and struggle with even here in the united states mm-hmm. and i think we forget that because you have a phone in your hand, have clothes on your back, have access to clean water and, you know, shelter or food. Like, sure, people definitely have needs here, but I mean, it looks very different, but maybe Mm -hmm. we're also not recognizing that there's an emotional need that they have. Maybe the connection with a family member or a friend is broken or mentally they're dealing with, you know, fear, anxiety, especially Mm -hmm. now with so much, you know, upside down. So I think as we think about people and the challenges they face that we don't just at face value size them up, if Mm -hmm. you will. And recognizing that just because in Kenya, the things that we see on the outside don't necessarily represent the full picture, the Mm -hmm. same as the United States or anywhere really around the world, people in general. So being aware of the whole person 
and holistically, what's the best for them? What would they say is the best for them? And then staying really close to who those leaders and those people are so you can learn what their problems are. Like I could say maybe 10 things off the bat that I think might be their problem based on what I see, but really the conversation with them, they might be fine, you know, with some of the things I think are, would be a problem for them. And then also, you know, how do they see those things changing? How would they like to see those? Do they want to change any of them? Yeah. You know, and, and, and what order? And then in their culture, what would be acceptable? Our partners, John and Dorcas, deal with a lot of issues around the girl child mm. um, as they, you know, use that term and gender equality and the things that create major injustice and oppression of women and girls. So coming from a culture and a country where women have more freedom, um, that's not something I was aware of off the bat when I came. And so I would say that it's really important to understand the context of the cultures that you're serving and the nuances that really are major, major issues for them that impact large parts of their society and their day-to-day. And one of those things, I I think you asked about where I was maybe confronted with that cultural difference or um, where I was super aware Mm -hmm. of that. And I think that one of the times that I am most aware of that difference, especially around gender equality, or where women's voices and girls are not either as welcomed or as valued or encouraged is in some of the very rural communities where we have women and men sitting on opposite sides or women are in the back and men are at the front and who's expected to be served first and how that and and I'm not critical of their culture and the reasons why they have certain practices Mm -hmm. and traditions and even the reverence and the respect that they have in different levels of their leadership because they have they have chiefs and they have elders and they have you know this whole order within the local government and, and their villages. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. So, yeah. and there are reasons why that has worked and why that's needed to be there um, for you know hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands and thousands of years. So, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that it's it's wrong or bad, but how those men treat the women and those mm-hmm. cycles of oppression and injustice change and improve to allow more freedom and maybe in some areas where they're not quite there yet. And so in our distributions in very rural communities, I have not aside in some of the ways that things happen or how the men greet me or not, how I'm allowed to speak. So I appreciate and I value the culture that the Maasai come from and the beauty of it, but also recognize the cycles of oppression and injustice specifically for women and girls. Um, that aren't just in Kenya, but around the world, but not having lived in an environment where that is the case, being confronted with that, and even how I was treated, mm-hmm. um, not in an unkind way, but my um, Americanness, maybe, so to speak, yeah. where I feel like I have a right, you mm-hmm. know, or you need to respect me, or don't yeah. you see me right here, you know? Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, I need to learn so much more about the issues that my fellow sisters around the world mm-hmm. are dealing with and what their lives are like, how they are pushing through those barriers, how they are learning to use their voice and uh, wondering more of what that looks like in the home, you know, in the marketplace and, you know, in the church community and, and mm-hmm. all of those different places where their voices are needed and what's allowed. And so I just remember wanting to say things so many times in some of these forums or where they would be talking about things that I would get so upset on the inside and angry as to how women were being talked about or treated or not prioritized or whatnot. And mm-hmm. recognizing that our leaders are on the front lines every day working on these issues. There has been tremendous progress, but just like with most global issues, there is still work to be done. 
And so you are still going to encounter uh, challenges around these issues, but it's not going to help if you get all upset and in people's faces. Not that I would do that, but I was like, how could they be saying that? Or how can they be talking about girls in this way? Um, But then I would see John and then I would get up and he's super, super respected in this community and an amazing leader. He has an uncanny ability to connect with people, even on the opposite sides of issues. That's incredible. And yes, it is absolutely amazing how he brings people together and he's so well thought and well spoken. He's very intentional. He is not one just to blurt out. <laughs> oh, uh, interesting. But in doing so, he then makes space for Dorcas and he mm-hmm. invites his wife to come up and then mm-hmm. demonstrates an example of how a Maasai Kenyan strong leader man can give his wife a platform, encourage her voice and acknowledge her in the midst of that environment. So here I am frustrated right in the corner as to how I feel like people are being pushed down and women's rights. And then I see John and Dorcas get up and in this display of mutual power and respect and authority uh, and love Mm -hmm. for their community. And I see things turn. So again, working with leaders that have the the heart and the ear of their community are key. I would have so screwed it up. So (laughs) I'm so thankful that um, they know the way and that they're continuing to push forward despite a lot of backlash. And, mm-hmm. and challenges from people that want it to remain the way that it's been. But they are not content with the status quo, and they do want equality for the girls as much as for the boys. So mm-hmm. lots of lessons to learn for sure. For sure. For me. <laughs> yes, I think for everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. That's it for today's interview. Thank you so much. This wouldn't be the same without wonderful listeners like you. For more information on how you can learn about Just One Africa and help the people of Kenya, please visit justoneafrica.org today. Thank you so much, and we hope you have a wonderful day.